This is the Straight Dope, episode 56. I got a ton to talk about, and I'm going to break it up into a bunch of podcasts. I know I was going to do some last week, but things got a little bit crazy, and so now we're back and ready to roll out a bunch of content. Recently, I finished up a series of team matches and individual matches, and most of them were out in the field. And in the field, data management is a huge issue. So today, I'm going to start talking about kind of the way I see it is kind of an arts and crafts section because it has a lot to do with just drawing things out on paper and writing things out in a particular way that makes them usable in the field. And so I'm going to talk today starting with data management and then I'm going to go into wind and go into movement, gear manipulation, and so on and so forth over the next few episodes as well as pull in a couple of interviews that I've got lined up and two of which I have recorded just not launched. So Let's get started. Remember, if you want to support the podcast and support the Riflecraft project and the Straight Dope podcast, you can go to riflecraft.com and subscribe. You get added features, added analytics, you get emails from me, you get content, training ideas, and kind of an open line to communicate with me, as well as supporting the podcast by voting with your wallet in what amounts to about a magazine of ammo. You're helping put this and keep this moving forward. And if not, just keep listening and sharing. The podcast is growing. You know, every week we get several thousand listens. So so that's continuing to grow outside and beyond kind of the smaller circles of precision rifle shooting into the larger community. So I really like that. I think that's cool. And the ideas are growing and people are getting success from the content that they're getting. So that makes me happy. And it's kind of a win-win when we all get better at what we like to do. So let's talk about data management. And when I think about data management, a lot of it falls back to context. So with many things, you ask questions, they say, well, it depends. And I, I don't like depends without following it up with explanations of what are the scenarios where it does depend. So I'm going to try to do that. Now, with most of the shooting that happens out there, there are kind of two um, you know, kind of dichotomous branches, right? Uh, yes, no questions or left, right, uh, forks and trails or paths or roads or wh- however you want to think of it. But I tend to think of applications being known distance and unknown distance, right? KD and UKD are the, um, I've seen uh, written out there with known distance and unknown distance shooting. So in the at least my understanding of the past, and and you know, even though I'm getting older, I don't think I'm I'm so old that the major crutch with a lot of shooting was figuring out how far something was from you. Because if you don't know the distance, probably the biggest level of uncertainty of getting a bullet, getting a you know, a, 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 um, getting mass and energy delivered to a specific location, they don't really go that fast. And because they're constantly dropping, the big problem is flinging this thing from where you are to where you want it to be with just the right amount of energy that actually gets to within whatever your parameters of accuracy are. That's very hard if you don't know how far away something is, right? So with shooting, you know, my understanding is if you don't know the bullet weight and the speed that it's going at, then you can't really guarantee that it's going to actually get to where you're going. And so from the shooter perspective, knowing how far away it is gives you an idea of how much elevation or how high you have to hold that muzzle into the air to hit it. Now, a lot of that was removed when 
competition started giving people ranges because then you could dial and preset everything so that it's ready to go. And all you have to do is get the crosshairs on there and then figure out what you're going to do for wind. And so a huge level of uncertainty was taken away with known distance. Now, we have all sorts of fancy tricks. People got really good at using their reticles to range things, but that only works so well out to a certain distance, right? Around 700 yards, it gets very hard to be as precise as we like to be with the equipment that we use today. So rather than shooting um, sheets of plywood at distance and trying to measure them and be accurate with it, we expect our rifle systems to be more precise. The problem is you can't be that precise reticle ranging. And so we use things like laser range finders. If you're shooting an unknown distance competition and you're allowed to use a laser range finder, that poses itself some problems. But a lot of the big problems are taken away. Now, this weekend we had trouble ranging some, some, some targets, and that's built into the design of the competition. They're supposed to be hard to range so that you check, double-check, you learn tricks, you learn quirks, and sometimes they kick you in the nuts so that you remember next time, man, i got to be better at ranging that. It got us, and... It was a good learning experience. It's fun. It's exciting. It could be a little bit of frustration because you're relying a lot on equipment. But when you're managing your data and you don't know the distance, I fall back to the having that hard data. I always carry hard data. Now, I have a Kestrel with me, but if you're shooting unknown distance field stuff, you have to have your data written out in a way that you're able to access it based on the range so that you can do what you need to do quickly. If you're typing into your Kestrel, uh, the ballistic solution, or you're relying on too much synced up Bluetooth equipment, I think there could be a lot of problems. It's very fast to refer back to hard data, and I carry that on my wrist. Now, I like to use laser rangefinders, and some of them have, well, all of them have issues, to be honest. I've got two pairs of SIGs. I won a pair of SIGs, um, Kilo 10Ks this weekend. I haven't got them from them yet, but I've borrowed them and used them, and I have two pairs of Vortex, an old pair of ranging binos, and one of the newer Furies that don't link into the AB stuff because I don't, I don't like to rely on the digital ballistic solutions. And I'll get to that. But I think that right now, some of the bells and whistles that we have, they do things that seem really cool, but they're slow and they have a lot of um, issues. And a lot of those issues you don't catch until after... Uh, maybe you zero stage or you make a bad shot. And so I always fall back onto that hard data. In fact, that hard data I keep on my wrist and the more experience I get and the more practice that I get shooting in the field and shooting with partners, the less data I actually put on there. So, uh, but, but let's circle back around. So if you're doing known distance and, and I'm thinking about known distance uh, shooting is like a PRS style where you get a book the day before and it tells you all the ranges. So you can pre-go into a ballistic calculator, you know, write out all your data, write out all your dope. You can, uh, that, that's, that's much different than um, unknown distance where you're having to make decisions on the clock, but you can't pre-plan what it's going to be because you don't really know what you're going to be shooting, what direction, what distance, what the wind's going to be like. Whereas the known distance ranges, you typically know the direction of fire. You can look at weather apps, you can look at the computer, you figure out direction of wind, average speeds of wind, and you can you have the time usually to sit back 
and make a good game plan before you step up to run your course of fire. With known distance stuff, I usually carry a Kestrel and a backup Kestrel, and I don't use the hard data as much because you can sit there and you can make detailed, educated wind plans that you can't necessarily dedicate the time to to preparing for. You might have 30 minutes between stages, and then in that 30 minutes, people can range, rearrange, watch people shoot, look at the direction of fire, get average, high, low, left, right winds, where they, you know, is the direction shifting, is the velocity shifting, and so you can really get very explicit about your wind plan and that data before you have to sit up there and actually uh, see if it works, whereas in the field you don't have that stuff, and because you don't have that stuff, I like to fall back on a plan that's based on the ballistic data that you're working with, and then making decisions that are are uh, real time decisions, and usually you're shooting targets that are a little bit a little bit bigger. Now, what do I put on those? Well, I do look at data, uh, weather data before and after. And if I've been there, or you can go out the day before for check in or sight in or something like that, I try to figure out what the DA is going to be. And so I make DA cards, and I usually write them out on uh, three by five cards with lines, and I write them out for every thousand feet of DA because. At, at the competitive ranges, usually what I'm seeing is about a tenth of elevation shift per thousand feet of DA with the calibers that I shoot. Now, I'm rounding to a tenth, but, but it's about a tenth. And you want to be as precise as you can, but you also can't, um, you don't know what the weather's going to really be like. And so if you write it out per thousand feet of DA shift, uh, you can have big temperature swings. For example, this weekend when I when I got to the range, it was before sunrise, it was 50 degrees, and then later on in the day it was pretty close to 100. And so we had a 50-degree swing in temperature, and that has an effect on the air density, and the air density influences how much drag is on the bullet at the elevation that you're at. And so that has a big swing in where your bullet goes. And if you're shooting around 800 yards and you have data that's off by a few thousand feet of elevation, you are likely going to miss the target when you combine wind, aerodynamic jump, direction of fire, uh, the cone of fire produced by the shooter, right, your, your rifle craft stuff, and all that. So I, I, I shuffle out those DA cards, and I use the one that's within the closest range of that 1,000-foot DA cards that I make, and I'll make them for... Uh, you know, I'll set it for the DA of the day, and I'll look uh, the p- pilots. If you look at um, if you look at airport data, you can usually get really good and accurate DA charts. So I'll get that. I'll write out you know four or five DA charts, and then I'll be good to go. I keep that on my wrist, and throughout the day, what I do in the field matches is I'll pull out my Kestrel. It's you know pretty normal to see the Kestrel in my hand, and and essentially. I'm not, I'm not checking the DA as much as I'm checking the direction that the wind's coming from, from staging areas or from, um, you know, wherever I am. Even after, after a stage, I'll check, you know, and what's the precise direction, right? If I can get a cardinal direction, I'm happy. I want to know the average spin. I want to know where, where the highs are. I want to know where the lows are. I want to know where the direction's coming from. And I'll even pay attention to how is the direction shifting throughout the day? Here in Colorado, is, we've got mountains to the east. Here in uh, central and eastern Colorado, the mountains are to the, I'm sorry about that, the mountains are to the west of us. 
and the plains are to the east. And as as the heat comes in through the day, storms develop, and we tend to have, as those temperatures rise, the winds shift slowly in a 180-degree fan from west to east or east to west, depending on the temperature and the type of storm that's coming in. And so throughout the day, the wind might be coming in from the east, and then it'll slowly go to the north or the south, and then it'll slowly go to the west. And so keeping track of that is pretty helpful as the day progresses because you know, okay, you know, if I'm making a wind plan now in 30 minutes, it's probably going to shift, you know, 10 degrees to the left or 10 degrees to the right if it continues on this track. And so you can be monitoring that and, 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 and getting an idea of what you might hold if you're going to be facing in a particular direction. I used to write out wind, and I used to write out wind in brackets kind of based on the gun number or, or something that was logical anyway in brackets of um, you know, 5, 10, 15, or 7, 14, 21, and then make a call. But lately what I've been doing is is just making my wing call based off of the distance of the target. And I do that by working backwards from my gun number and the wind speed. And I've talked about this before, but now I've gotten pretty fluid with this such that if I know somebody's gun number and I know how far away the target is, then I know what the wind call is going to be based on the mile an hour and direction of wind. And so I don't even write that stuff down anymore. I simply have the data written out in 20 or 40 yard increments. And the dope that's required for those 20 or 40 yard increments, I do keep track of whether we're shooting directly east or west. I usually write down my data for north. And then based on that, I make the wind call, the initial wind call in the field on the gun number and the ratio of the wind speed to the gun number. And I factor in the direction that the wind's coming in. And that ratio is going to be the same as that ratio applied to the distance. So, for example, if we're shooting 800 yards, right, so I know the target distance, or, or even before you know the target distance. If, let's say you run up and the winds, the, the winds this weekend were averaging around 12 to 14 miles an hour of the team match that we just shot, the NRL Hunter. They're, they would get high. There was definitely times where they were above 30. There's definitely times where they were in the 6 to 8 range. But on average, I, I tended to see 12 to 14 miles an hour. So 12 to 14 miles an hour was one and a half the gun number of the Creedmoor. Um, well, one and a half to two of the, right? Because it's a seven mile an hour gun, 14 miles an hour is twice seven. So if the gusts were seven, I mean, if the gusts were, four, if it, you know, the highs were 14 and then it would dip down to 12 or 11, then it was either double the gun number, right? Or the wind number or whatever you want to call it or one and a half the wind number. So let's say, you know, I'm saying, okay, well, I can feel the difference between 11 and 14 on my face or in my hearing protection. And we're looking, and I see that the wind is coming from 130 of the target direction. So 130 of the target direction is 75%. 75% of 14 uh, is... 10, 
right? 10.5, something like that. So I have a 10 mile an hour wind effect on the bullet. 10 miles an hour is uh, about one and a half the gun number, right? So 75% of 14 is one and a half your gun number. So if you're shooting at 800 yards, you're going to hold 1.2 mils, one and a half the distance. If you're shooting at 500 yards, you're going to hold 0.75. If you're, if you're shooting at 600 yards, um, you're going to shoot 0.9. If you're shooting at 1,000 yards, you're going to hold 1.5. And that's a really good way to make a snap judgment on the wind based on the wind speed and direction that you're shooting from and just having range data. Now, when you hit, you get to see exactly what the wind was, and then you use that as the ratio. That ratio is going to carry over to targets if they're linear, and if they're lateral, you're going to have to apply that cosine ratio to those, and you're going to have to carry the wind holds accordingly. But that tends to work really well for me. And the more I've practiced it over the years, you know, I get obsessive about just training the wind. I'll drive out you know, it takes me an hour or two to get to the range to take, I'll bring 10 shots. Sometimes, I mean, I, I, if I'm training, I'll take 20 rounds. Um, but if I'm doing a wind day, I might, I might only take four or five bullets. I'm going to drive out. I got four or five targets in different directions. And I'm going to take a single shot at each. And I'm going to drive home. Now, that sounds crazy. But once you shoot and you know the wind, you basically can't learn or train anything else from that. So... The idea of going out all day and training wind isn't really doing what I think you're trying to do, but going out and taking a single shot or a couple shots and recording that, you're going to be able to get better wind training over consecutive days by doing that, which is hard for some people to do. But there are tricks to do from home also, but that's training wind. And all of that wind data falls back on knowing that you have good data good hard data written on your wrist or written somewhere, or if you're using the ballistic stuff in your software, but the software, it gets really easy for a setting to change or a piece of information or data that's entered into that thing to be wrong and it'll pump out wrong information. If your compass isn't calibrated, if the direction of fire isn't updated, if the wind direction isn't updated, there's all sorts of things that can go wrong. And being able to do all of that on a clock is very time consuming. And time is always a factor. And I think that falling back onto hard data is exponentially faster than using all the whiz-bang stuff at this time. Even though it does great things, do it before you head out and you'll still be faster with some practice. And most of that you can practice on paper without actually shooting, right? Just get comfortable with those directions, distances, the wind numbers of your rifle, and you can make those calls accurately and effectively uh, for you and for the people that you're shooting with. And I think that's a good way to practice it. If I'm not doing it on my wrist, I like to have a data card off of my rifle and those are nice because with a dry erase or something like that, um, Blam Enterprises in Idaho makes a really cool data card holder, and I've been using that since I started shooting. I think Brady makes good stuff, and that's cool. I've been messing around with Chad Heckler's uh, timer, and I'm going to start using that. I'm going to probably take that to the NRL Hunter finale uh, in a couple weeks. Uh, 
and use that timer. I think that timers are valuable, but you need to train with them. We didn't use them this weekend as effectively as we should have, but I was using a a countdown timer, and sometimes it wouldn't start, so that, that posed its own problems. But data management is very important, and especially when you're using unknown distance because you need to be able to ping that object and refer back to your data very quickly and accurately. And then having that there also, in a sense, gives you your wind plan based on the speed and direction that the wind is coming from. The less stuff that you have on your wrist the easier it's going to be for you to process that information. If you have tons of columns and numbers everywhere, it's very hard to track and easy to confuse yourself. Now, I've tried putting all the numbers and the columns and the bars and the graphs, but I always resort back to simpler is better because if there's too much up there, there's too much that can confuse you in making those decisions. Now, plenty of people that shoot PRS make the columns and they just follow the columns and that works, but I'm not speaking from a point where I do a ton of that you know the last one like that that I shot was the NRL finale um and I didn't I didn't do that um I went up just like I do for field matches and use my gun number now I didn't I didn't win it so um we'd have to ask Morgan and I think he does the column stuff but I did get fifth so that's not too bad this weekend, we did the gun number direction thing based on the distance, and we did win. We got first place. And at the Burris Team Challenge, we got second. And at the Steel Safari, I got first. And all of those was the same thing. I have the distance, my dope, and everything else is based on the direction of fire, the direction and speed of the wind, based on the distance of the target. I think that it's faster. I think that it allows you to be more accurate and make calls on the fly that carry over from one target to another more accurately than a pre-planned thing based on just simple ballistic measurements because you see the effect of the wind on the bullet. And if you carry that ratio based on the distance to the next targets, that ratio tends to hold better better than just following a little uh, graph. So known distance, pretty easy to manage your data. Unknown distance, it can get very complicated. And I encourage everybody to pair back on what you use. That doesn't mean don't get fancy stuff. That just means when you step up to the line, don't have everything up there with you because it'll slow you down. And make sure that you're familiar and comfortable enough with that equipment that when it does go wrong, you catch it before you shoot, and it's shooting the wrong data. I've seen a lot of the ballistic binoculars have the data from the previous stage in them for some reason because they didn't resync to the Kestrel and re-update via Bluetooth for the things that they're synced into, and so they've got the previous stuff in it, and the shooter shoots, They should have known it wasn't 800 yards when you can see it at 300, but they didn't stop to think, 800, wow, um, I I shouldn't be holding 300 yards, I should be around a mil. I shouldn't be, um, you know, five or six mils. But that's not what happens on the clock, right? We We stop thinking logically, and by falling back on our hard data, it requires us to maintain that cycle of 
thinking and processing and making decisions rather than just doing what the thing told me to do, right? And I think that that's very important. That is consistent with the Riflecraft philosophy and methodology of take a shot and think about the influence you had on the rifle to know why the shot went left, down, up, or right. Every single shot you should be able to measure, enter into the program, and then work backwards to explain why did my shot go high? Why did my shot go low? Why did it go left? Why did it go right? And then work to take that error that you're inputting to the rifle out of the system and and inputting that data and thinking about it. Now, everybody and their grandma has targets now that are positional, standing, kneeling, seated, prone targets, but nobody else is really breaking down the numbers and forcing you to look backwards at your influence on it, right? You say, oh, well, if I always shoot left, I'm just going to move my my zero or my windage and and everything that I've heard other than learn to take out your positional shifts by training it out changing your zero and doing all that garbage is a terrible idea um, so I think that this is the same thing manage your data by simplifying it so that you can make decisions on solid, good information, but you're not so dependent on it that you're not thinking, right? Um, I'm going to stop here for this one, and there, you know, this might be longer. I don't know how long this is, but I'm going to um, just simply record a bunch of them, and they're going to be thematic like this. And I'm going to put a picture on the Straight Dope podcast Instagram of kind of my data management card from the last match. And then I'm going to put a picture for each episode kind of showing what it is that I'm actually talking about. But starting here with the arts and crafts, it's getting comfortable writing out hard data on note cards so that you have it. Even if you're doing any kind of match, it's just good to have as backup in the event that your electronics go down. So uh, talk to you soon.